You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest here with us. I was on one of his events the other week and he did a fantastic job. We have Bo Bury with his own Bo Bury Multifamily Advisors in the state of Florida uh, brokerage. And today what we're going to talk about is Bo's new book, uh, Multifamily Investors Who Dominate, which is basically an inside look at how the elite investors transact. But specifically, a lot of people who listen to the show are either active or passive investors looking to get involved in real estate on the multifamily side. And, you know, the number one issue that I hear from a lot of my clients is I can't find any deals, especially we're (laughs) inching into the second quarter of 2021. And it's a very competitive interest rates are still extremely low. And there's a lot of liquidity out there that is pent up from 2020 that was sitting on the sidelines. And it's really driving up prices, especially in the state of Florida, where uh, Bo and I actually both operate. So uh, we want to hear how do we separate ourselves from the pack in the brokerage community to find off, quote unquote, off market deals or even marketed deals. It's still very competitive to even win a marketed deal. So we want to hear some tips and tricks and figure to have Bo on the show. So thanks so much for coming on. Now, this is great, man. I'm glad to be on here. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So can you talk to us about any secret sauce that you may have or, uh, you know, we, we yeah. spoke about, yeah, go ahead. So I think it's, I think it's always important to, to set the scene and, and talk numbers first, because one of the things I find that, that most investors um, misunderstand is that they're, they're, most of them are clueless on how many assets there actually are in any given market. How, how few actually sell per year, how powerful some of the competition is. And they mostly just have misdirected efforts for how you procure assets, right? And so, so let me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the entire northern half of Florida in terms of inventory and number of sales. And it doesn't matter what market you're in, you know, if you're in New Jersey, California, Boston, whatever it is this same type of scarcity exists in all the markets. And the important thing to keep in mind is that you have to kiss a lot of frogs, right, to, to see deals. So let me give you the stats. Let me talk to you about who some of these elite investors are. Let me talk to you about how few number of deals there actually are so that you understand that you're, that you're probably doing everything right. You're just not doing as much. You're not, you're not, you're, you haven't kissed enough frogs yet, Right. So in the entire northern half of Florida, there are only 1,959 assets over 10 units. Now I'm talking about, you know, Gainesville, Ocala, Daytona, New Smyrna, Ormond, Deland, Deltona, St. Augustine, Jacksonville, Tallahassee, Lake City. Like these are all major, major markets, right? Only 1,959 assets over 10 units. Now, those 1,959 assets are owned by only 993 investors in the world, right? In the entire world, just 993. Now, 
Of those 1,959 assets, only 866 are over 100 units, and those are owned by 406 people, right? So you can think like Florida, which is the, the, one of the top five states in the entire country for multifamily, and there's only 400 people that control all of the larger inventory, right? Now, here's what's even more startling is that of the, one, of the, the top 1% of owners, right, own 11% of all assets or 21 properties each. The top 2% own 17% and the top 5% own 27% of all assets or 11 properties each. And what I have found is that the, the elite, the, the, the ones who own all the assets are owning more and more each year, right? So that 27% has actually been growing year after year after year because the bigger they get, the better they get, the more brokers bring those same guys' assets because they consistently close and make brokers look good to the sellers. So it's a reinforcement loop, right? Now, let's look at the flip side. 66% of owners own only one asset. 17% of, 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 in, of investors own only two properties. So if you add 66 and 17, you got 83% of investors own only 50% of the inventory, which means the other 17% of owners own 50% of the inventory, right? So they keep getting wealthier and that's about 5.6 properties each. Again, this is the same across the entire country, the, the, the scarcity. So I have found that, and I've been tracking this for a long time, on average between five and 10% of inventory trades per year in any given market, number of deals. And overall average is actually around 8%, it's 8.2% currently. So my point is, is that let's go over a scenario. And I actually use a very similar scenario like this in, in the book, Multifamily Investors Who Dominate. So for instance, if you were an investor, Anthony, who, who um, only bought 100 plus unit deals that are conventional, right? So not student housing, not affordable housing, just conventional. Now that 866 properties goes to 566, and if you only bought deals that are between like 1980 and 2015, which is a pretty popular age segment, right? Because people don't want stuff that's more than 40 years old. People don't want stuff that's super new because it's hard to value at it. Then there's only 306 assets. And then if you, if you only bought, the, if you only were going after the ones that haven't already sold in the last two years, because it's going to be hard to add value to something that's already been bought in the last two years. They're probably already adding value to it. Now there's only 252, right? Now there's another 20 to 25% of inventory that's refinancing, right? So that could knock that down even more. And then it could be in locations you don't want. It could be, you know, it could be just, you know, types of physicality of the property you don't want. But let's just use the 252, for example, right? There's only... If, if only 8% of assets are trading, that's only 20 properties a year in the entire northern half of Florida if you were that kind of buyer. That's less than two deals a month. So to go back to your, to, to your original question, which is you know, how do you find deals and what do you do? 
you first have to understand they are already super scarce. You may be already be doing everything correctly in my book, which is highly doubtful, but let's just say you were, there's still only two chances a month max that you could even find anything, right? And that scenario, I mean, I just we just talked about 100 plus units, but it's the same if you were buying 10 to 50, the scarcity exists. I have found there's only one to two chances a month in the entire northern half of the state. Once you consider the fact that they may be in locations that you don't like, or they may be owned in long-term funds or whatever the case may be. So when a deal comes up in a month and you see it and you're like, ah, yeah, the price doesn't work or it's not a location, you have to understand it may be weeks and weeks or months before you see another one that matches your description. So it's super important you do everything right when they do come up. Right. So let's, right, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, I think you're going to transition to that. So let's talk about how we can find, you know, when those deals come up, how do we set yep. ourselves apart or what strategies should operators, you know, uh, utilize in order to have a greater success at, you know, getting a deal under contract and successfully closing. Uh, Cause I yep. get, you know, asked from the active side a lot, that question. And then from the passive side, all the passive investors are relying on the operators to find these deals. That's why they're investing with you. So if you don't yeah. have deal flow, they're just going to put their money with somebody else. So it's that's super right. important. Yeah. So the, the number one thing you can do hands down, no matter who you talk to or what guru you're a part of or what group you're paying dues to, it's brokers. That's an actual statistical fact. The number one thing you can do is, is building relationships, long-term relationships with brokers. And to back that up, I did a study that um, I, I studied... Uh, from January 2015 to December 2019, which is a five-year period, I studied 351 transactions in the entire northern half of Florida, which represented 31% of every closing that happened during that period over 10 units, right? And I, I literally researched every single transaction with every owner and discovered that 92.55% of every closing was done by a broker, Right. Now it could be a it could be you know eighty percent in Texas it could be ninety six percent in New York whatever the case may be doesn't matter what market you're in the vast majority is going to be done by brokers so from a time efficiency standpoint does it make more sense to 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 um, to work your whole game on befriending and 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 developing reputation with brokers or does it make more sense to try to call sellers directly? or, you know, send them mailings or whatever, like you're just a needle in the haystack. Like you're only at that point after the 7%, right? The, the 7% who may sell to you off market. But I'm here to tell you on that 7%, it's actually far less because the 7% that didn't involve a broker were usually done between REITs and other REITs or a REIT and a national or a national and national, but it's two groups who develop a product specifically for some other group, or they already had some other buyer in mind. Very rarely does seller Sam get a call from Anthony, and Anthony is like, hey, seller Sam, saw your property over on Jupiter Street. Um, we buy a lot of those 50-unit deals. I like it. It's beautiful. Would you entertain an offer? Like It just doesn't happen because seller Sam knows he can call up Bo and get 15 offers in a week, and I can create a bidding war and get the price way up. Right Now, could you do that on quadruplexes, duplexes, triplexes? Sure, that availability is more often, and especially houses. But once you get over 10 units and particularly over 20 units, 
you're now entering a little more of a sophisticated big boy market, right? So how do you network with brokers? That's what the book is all about. It's not all about that. It's The book is about two parts. It's, hey, brokers control the inventory. Here's how you make them fall in love with you. And the other part is, here's how you build a reputation in general in the field of multifamily investing that floods you with deals to you, right? So on the broker side, here's, here's how this thing works, right? Because it's a sophisticated market over 20 units and sellers are always calling brokers to list property, then, then what you have to do is you have to develop a reputation in the market that precedes you. And you also have to network, you have to automate the networking with brokers. So what happens is most investors are only calling the top 20% of us, right? So for instance, in the entire northern half of Florida, there are 60 multifamily brokers, right? Most of those are, uh, are full-time, but there's a lot of them that are part-timers. There might be commercial real estate guys who do office deals and occasionally get a multifamily deal, right? But there's about 60 of them that do between one and 20 deals a year, right? Now, if you look at the 80-20 rule, 20% of those 60 brokers or 12 are, of us are doing the majority of the deals. And so we're the ones who get most of the calls. But if everyone's just calling those same 12, they're also missing out on 48 other guys that are doing between one and 20 deals per year for the next 20 years that are getting fewer calls. And there's no way you can network with 60 different brokers if you don't automate it. Right, because you're just you're just not going to remember to do all that. You're not going to remember the conversations and all that. So, what I talk about in my book, one of many things we talk about is investors are salespeople. You have to be a salesperson. In fact, you you are more in a sales world than I am as a broker. I'm only competing against 59 other guys. You're competing against tens of thousands of people from Russia, Israel, India, the United States you name it, you're competing against the world, right? And so what I teach is you need to get every single broker's contact information that works in all the markets that you work in. You're finding them on Google, LoopNet, CoStar. Basically, you just Google whatever market you're in and multifamily broker, and they're going to pop up. And then you're going to import them into a CRM. You have to get a CRM. There's no way you can track your world in the investment world or the brokerage world without a CRM. There's just too many names, too many things going on, too much content information, too many, too many uh, you know, history events to track. So you have to import them and you're putting their contact information, you're putting their email addresses, pictures of them. You want to research them on things they've done, articles they've written, websites, all this stuff. And then you're calling them, right? Every four to six weeks, you're developing relationships. So we, I'm not going to get into too much deal here because we detail because we don't have enough time, but let me just paint the picture. The elite investors that I write about in the book, you can imagine over the course of a five to 20 year period that every four to six weeks, they're contacting all 60 brokers and they're talking about business and they're talking about family and friends and hobbies and what they did on the weekends and they probably got together over the weekend. And you do that every four to six weeks, month after month, week after week, year after year. You can imagine after just 10 years of doing that, who every broker thinks about when they get a listing. 
am I going to call, you know, the guy who calls me every four to six months and all he asks me is, do you have anything for sale? Or am I going to call the guy who's calling me every month that we've developed a relationship with that we might've played golf with together or that we might've done the last three deals together or whatever. I'm calling that guy. And then I'm only calling that guy. I'm calling that guy three weeks before it even comes in the market. Now that guy still has to compete, right? Most of the time sellers want it fully marketed, right? And fully exposed. And so the guys that we're closest with still have to compete, but they got a call three weeks before it came on the market. And so they're able to drive the market and they're able to work their performers already. And they're already, already able to study the rent comps and they're, and they're already, you know, sort of talking to their own property managers and they're already doing renovation costs and all that stuff. Right. So that's why you get 15 offers in six or seven days because many of the top guys have gotten tipped off. I'll stop there for a little bit. <laughs> no, that's great. And the, so a question, follow-up question I would have to that is, a lot of investors, even myself included, coming from the New York, New Jersey area, major gateway metros are investing now in areas like Florida, just because we've seen, even over the past 10 years, tremendous growth. So um, but not particularly now. Um, so how does an out-of-state investor apply these tactics the way you're talking about having golf with the brokers, connecting with them every you know few weeks or so? How can they do that without physically being there, even though they should be there if they already own in the market? What's your strategies for out-of-state? Yeah. I mean, you just nailed it. I mean, they should be coming to visit their properties. Right. So I mean, here's, here's how that works. I mean, actually, a lot of the top investors I work with are, are out-of-state. But what they do is, and, and let, me just, let me just also you know, kind of car, say this. I did not write this book, okay, for for brokers to get stroked and and you guys to suck up to us and all that stuff. That's not what it's about. I'm just talking about this is human motivation. This is just the way the human brain works. That if brokers are the ones who control the inventory, then then this is it's a relationship business, right? Human beings want to do business with people they like and that, that do the right things, right? They don't retrade, they don't belittle properties, they don't do all this stuff. They treat brokers right, they treat other people in the transaction right. This is just typical human motivation stuff, whether you're selling a widget or you're buying apartment complexes, right? But if you're an out-of-state guy, you know, it's, it's you know, for, for meetings are always the best, right? So for instance, if you're an out-of-state guy and you're coming to check out a couple of assets that are for sale, you're probably gonna come check them out. I would set several meetings in advance, Call 15, 20 brokers and say, hey, I'm going to be in, in, in Austin next week. I'm checking out this asset and this asset. I'd love to meet you. I've, I've read about a, a bunch about you. You seem to transact the type of deals I do or so-and-so told me about you and says we should hook up. Would love to stop by for just 10 minutes. Would love to do a lunch, whatever the case may be. Five minutes stop by could be good. Doing a handshake and seeing the human beings, that's the number one thing. In addition, there should be phone calls in between, Right. Zoom calls are great. I do a lot of Zoom calls. COVID's actually been great in, in terms of now the Zoom call is more normal, right? I mean, you can hop on a Zoom call super easy. So I would do, I would do meetings first, Zooms are second, phone calls are third, and emails are just kind of correspondence in between, right? But you have to automate it. So you literally, you want to set it up so that let's just say there's 60 brokers and you want to be reaching out to them every four to six weeks. When you come in to, into your CRM every day, 
there should be three or four brokers you're supposed to call that day, right? And as you're talking to them, you're typing in notes into their profile, things that you're learning about them, deals that they're working on, you know, and over time, you just, you accumulate a bunch of notes and you get to know them. And as soon as you hang up, you're scheduling that next phone call for another month from now, right? But you have to automate it. It's got to be over and over and over again, or you're just never going to remember everyone. I promise you, you do that for a year, you're going to be flooded with more deals than you can imagine. Right. And every, listen, every conversation isn't about, you know, it's not a 15 minute phone call. As a matter of fact, the closer you get, the, the bigger the bond you develop with a broker, the shorter the phone call becomes. It's almost like buddies, right? You know, it's, hey, Bo, what you working on right now? Great. Is there anything I can turn a letter of intent on? Awesome. Hey, well, by the way, what'd you do, what'd you do over the weekend? Did you go to a car show? Cool. Hey, by the way, we just bought this or we just, you know, whatever it is. And it's, it's over pretty quick. Hey, well, let me know if I can do anything to help you. Click, right? And so it's it, the tighter the bond, the shorter the phone call over time. But it, you're only as good as your last phone call, right? I mean, there's, there's so many thousands of investors that are calling brokers that you can't remember everyone. And so that's why the frequency is important. You want to remain top of mind. Right. And you mentioned inputting data based on conversations between investors and brokers into a system. What system do you use and or recommend? Um, really, it's, it's any of them. I use Realnex, R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a commercial broker software, but every investor should be using it as well. There's a bunch of other ones. I mean, just, just type in commercial real estate CRM. Almost all of them have property cards, vendor cards, broker cards, investor cards. And what I mean by card is, you know, every property has its own profile where you can fill out number of units, bedrooms, age, who owns it, type of construction, all these different searchable fields. And the same thing for broker. It's got, you know, contact information and, you know, where they're located and the transactions that they've done. You could have vendor profiles. So it could be your phase one guy and your title person, all these things. The most important thing of any CRM you use is that you're able to track history. So you can type notes about phone calls and schedule events, right? So that when you come in the morning, it's telling you everything that you've got to do today, right? So if you can imagine for me, I have things that I have to do today that I input in last week, last month, or six years ago. Six years ago, I could have had a conversation with Anthony and Anthony in that conversation said, hey, Bo, um, by the way, in, in 2023, that's when my loan comes up. That's when my fund is due. We're going to be selling XYZ apartments. So I'm going to be inputting a year, year and a half in advance of that to begin calling you and saying, hey, how's that going? Is that still on par for 2023? So all these conversations that brokers are having with other investors, which investors could never have with other investors, we're inputting these notes in and we're tracking the mortgages and we're tracking the algorithms on when the typical property closes and we're tracking the type of fund they are when they're coming up. All these things are intersecting in our CRM that create an output that tell us which property is going to sell next. It's what we study from 5 a.m. to 12 p.m. at night or 11 p.m. Right. at night. Right. No, that's great. So what I would say to my audience as well is, what I'm hearing from Bo is that real estate and real estate investing, any, any facet of real estate is a long-term game. So you're not just going to call up a broker like Bo and say, Hey, I'm looking for this and that. And all of a sudden you're going to be able to buy a deal. It's, it's almost like you need touch points and you need to establish some credibility first before 
you know, acquiring an asset, especially in a market where you may not have any real estate holdings in yet. So that's another part of my question is, it seems like if you have the money to buy a deal now, that doesn't really, doesn't do it. It used to do it, uh, but 10 years ago, but now it's kind of changed. Everybody's got mentioned things like credibility. So is that becoming more important than actually having the funds? Like, obviously you need to have the funds to close, but so many, there's so much capital out there right now. Yeah. So, you know, the, the first part of this podcast, we talked about, you know, sort of who controls the inventory and how do you automate contact with the brokers, right? That's one, that's just the, that's just the base, right? The number one thing you can do to become, to, to have brokers salivating over you is closing and not just closing. Closing's one component. Okay. A lot of people can close. It's closing with the best reputation in place. That's the number one thing you can do. Not closing, because you can close and be, an, and be a, a you-know-what. You can be an a-hole. You have to, and, and never get called back again and never see another listing again. You have to close with reputation, right? So I've got a, I got a, we can go over a whole bunch of do's and don'ts about how you transact in a manner in which makes brokers fall in love with you. But the basis is closing, is doing what you're saying going to do and not making uh, an ass of yourself, not putting the broker in a bad position and not looking bad in front of everyone uh, in, uh, that's part of the transaction. You have to remember every transaction you do, it's not just the seller and the broker, right? If you perform poorly in a transaction, yes, that seller and that broker is going to be talking about you to lots of people who are going to affect you a long term. But there's a lot of other people, right? There's, there's two attorneys, there's property managers, there's title people, there's leasing agents, there's phase one consultants. All these guys are watching how you participate in a transaction. They hear whether or not you closed or not and why. And then they talk to other people. Okay. Even a phase one guy who's only out there for a couple of days, when he hears from Bo the broker, oh yeah, the deal didn't close. Well, why didn't it close? Well, so-and-so did this. Phase one guy is friends with hundreds of investors. Right. And they're talking. They're like, oh, yeah. Hey, by the way, did you hear about so and so transaction Bo was working on? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Anthony was the buyer. This is what he did. Right. Mm. And so there's dozens of conversations happening about you, whether whether you and you don't even know what's being said or, or whatever. And you know how the world works when good thing when you do the good things, people are going to tell people eight or 10 people when you screw up. It's going to be dozens and dozens of people. Right. right? So would you like, I mean, if you want, we can, you know, there's a whole bunch of do's and don'ts, but, and, and I won't, we don't have to touch on the obvious ones like retrading, but there's a lot of subtle ones that, that are annoyances to just human beings that a lot of investors do on a regular basis. That's hurting the reputation. That's removing them from the new listings list. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I could probably name a few of them as well. But, <laughs> um, I'm sure we can have a follow-up podcast and hit <laughs> all of those at that time. We're running out of time now, Bo. Um, how can people find you? How can people learn more about your book? How can they buy your book um, and learn more about your platform and connect with you? Sure. There's three ways. Number one is my website is bowberry.com, B-E-A-U-B-E-E-R-Y.com. Now, it doesn't matter what market you're in. The reason you want to go visit the website, uh, one of the main uh, tabs is if you click on resources at the top, it'll show um, all the markets I cover. And if you click on any of those markets, there's all kinds of buttons that contain all kinds of stats on the markets that I cover. Those are the stats you as an investor want to master in your markets. And the reason you want to master those 
is so that you can respond quickly and turn in offers within a week in the market you're, you're, that you're going after. Because the elite investors, two things are happening. Number one, they're getting called three weeks before the listing comes on the market. But number two, they've mastered the markets to the point where, I mean, they, they know exactly everything about rents, absorption, vacancies, what can they can sell it for, renovations, all that stuff. Okay. Number two, of course, is the book. This is what it looks like, Multifamily Investors Who Dominate. It's on Amazon and hardcover. It's on Audible. It's on Kindle. And then thirdly, I have a YouTube channel called Bo Knows Multifamily, B-E-A-U. And on that channel, we go over how to be flooded with deals, how you find deals, how you can sell them for top dollar when you go to sell, uh, and then how to do market analytics so you can respond very quickly. Excellent. And we'll have a link to those three um, platforms that Bo mentioned. So you can reach out to him and purchase the book. And I know I will be after the show in, in any capacity. And hopefully Bo will have you on again towards the latter of the year. And yeah, that'd be awesome. Of 2021. Yeah. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, hope to see you. Hope to see you around. Yeah, man, you bet. Talk soon. Thank you.